You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Okay, I thought the world of you. I thought we were going to fight side by side forever, but at the end of the day, you're you and I'm me. I don't know, maybe they're still good in you, but let's be honest, that path's diverged a long time ago. Probably for the best that we never see each other again. That's what you always wanted. Hey, let's do get help. What? Get help. No. Come on, you love it. I hate it. It's great. It works every time. It's humiliating. Do you have a better plan? No. We're doing it. We are not doing get help. Get help! Please! My brother's dying! Get help! Help me! Classic. I still hate it. It's humiliating. No, not for me, it's not. Welcome, everybody, to, well, it used to be Asgard. The foundations aren't what they used to be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, this is the 602 Club, our general geek show here on Trek FM. And I'm uh, joined by a fantastic brother across the pond, the one and only Lee Hutchinson tonight. Hey, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm especially excited because... Uh, you had audaciously called it months ago, and I do mean months ago, that this would be the best Marvel film ever. I know, I, I went all in. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if I, if it came up short, I think there was going to be a lot of screen caps with a lot of people. I think even on podcasts, I've been <laughs> throwing it all out. Oh, this is going to be one of the best. Trust me on this one. Yeah, Thor 2, ignore that. This one will be the, the bee's knees, as it were. So, yeah, there was a lot of pressure, right? I don't think just on Marvel and Taiki Watiti, uh, but on me and myself with my uh, my audacious claims. Well, I mean, in it, I mean, you uh, to put it in British uh, and UK terms, you were saying this wasn't just going to be a wee corker. This was going to be a massive corker. I mean, this was going to be the film of all films. So an absolute we'll have to belter out if, you right. if you want to go Scottish. Uh, there you go. Absolutely. So. Um, well, if you haven't figured it out, we're going to be talking about Thor Ragnarok tonight, and uh, I'm excited to do that with you, man. So um, before we do, everybody, you can find all the shows we do here at uh, Trek FM over on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. Uh, that is actually the best place while you're over there is to hit the 602 Club up with a star rating review, um, help other people find the show. Um, those really do make a huge difference uh, as where we fall in the rankings and all that stuff, so... Do that, and uh, if you do, you'll get called out on the show with a huge thank you no matter what you say about the show or what the rating is. So um, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We've uh, got our listeners-only discussion group over there called the Babel Conference. 
There are a couple ways to get on to that. If you're on Facebook, go to the search field and type in Babel, and that'll take you to the listeners-only discussion group. Or uh, you can go over to our website at trek.fm, which is a great place to peruse so you can check out all the shows we're doing. And any of the show pages there, they will have a link that says discussion, and that will also bring you to the listeners-only discussion group. Uh, we're on Twitter, at trek.fm, and so, um, yeah, Make sure you check out all those places. And last but not least, if you would like to send us an email, you can find us at trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club, and that will come straight to me or anybody else on the show. And as I speak of that, um, I wanted to say a huge thank you. We, we did get some great feedback on our uh, latest Bond episode. And Douglas wrote us in, and he said he just wanted to say uh, how much he's been enjoying the Bond retrospective episodes and that our insights and judgments are most interesting, well-argued. And uh, for, for him, he agrees with most of our issues and that he had just listened to our For Our Eyes Only Totally nailed it, he we, he thought. So uh, especially the movie Strange Unevenness and Tone. Uh, and so really thank you for writing in. I'm so glad that you've really been enjoying our coverage of the Bond films because I have too. Um, it's been a blast to be able to do that. Also, thank you so much for giving us a review over there in the iTunes UK site. Really appreciate that. Help all of the listeners over there to find us. And um Keep listening. Uh, we will be finishing up uh, the more era uh, in this year, and then diving in to Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan. And it's been confirmed, uh, but friend of the show Nick Anastasio has talked us into doing Never Say Never Again. So, um, whether I ever talk to Nick again after that is debatable. So, just kidding. We love you, Nick. Um, I'd echo that. Your so, the Bond series that you guys have been doing has been fantastic. It's always quite interesting to hear a, um, an American and foreign uh, view of uh, what we consider our <laughs> iconic classic series. So, yeah, I think you guys are doing a, a really cool job. So I'm sure uh, you're excited to escape the Moore era and dive into Timothy Dalton uh, for 2018. <laughs> well, I know you're a huge uh, Dalton oh, fan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So. I'm excited to hear you and guys. And he is. He's totally underrated as a bond which is is very sad um and i i really i can't wait to get there uh in fact lee i think you were actually maybe the first uh voicemail that we ever played oh, i think so yeah yeah book. i think it was because, for the, the yeah, skyfall or something skyfall yeah, that's the one yeah so that was really exciting um but we're not here to talk bond we're here to talk thor and so i wanted to ask you we kind of mentioned beforehand where you were kind of coming into this one. Um, so, yeah, I, what had you thought of the previous Thor movies, and what was your excitement level for Ragnarok? Yeah, I think, well, like, kind of going back to the first Thor movie, that I thought I was in the minority, and it seems to be kind of a, becoming a more popular kind of movie, as it were. But I, I, th I think the first one is a highly enjoyable movie. I think Kenneth Branagh does an excellent job with making Thor a really well adapted movie. I mean, it's not without its flaws, but I think it's it's probably one of the best movies of of Marvel Phase One up there with Captain America and Iron Man for me. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I can't say the same at all for Thor Two. Um, I saw it opening night, and I, I don't think I've watched it ever again. I've got it on the Blu-ray shelf for the sake of having a, a completionist collection. But um, yeah, it's one movie I've I've never been too excited to dive into again um and but as i mentioned kind of for thor 3 um 
I was more excited as a kind of, you know, full disclosure. People come into these things, you know, are you Marvel, are you DC, these sorts of things. Like DC is my my thing. I, I love the, the the Batman character and and it's something I've always grown up with. But I've enjoyed the Marvel movies a lot. But what kind of set Thor Ragnarok aside for, uh, out for me was that I'm a huge Taiki Watiti fan. Um, you know, that goes back to his work on Flight of the Concords, Boy, Eagle versus Shark, Hunt for the Wilder People. And I just think he's just an all-round great guy. I, th- I love his style, his comedic timing. Um, you know, if it could have been, you know, Thor 3, it could have been... Batman 6, whatever he was doing, I would have been as just as excited and proclaiming it to be such something to to really treasure and be excited for. So when he was um, linked with doing Thor 3, that was good enough for me. Like Regardless of how bad Thor 2 was, how maybe not excited people were about Thor movies compared to, say, Iron Man and Captain America, I really expected this was going to be a movie that I would really enjoy and I think would resonate with a lot with people. I think when people find his movies, and they're quite difficult to find sometimes, they're probably the definition yeah, of true. cult hits. You know, What We Do in the Shadows is is mockumentary about vampires, got like a one-week screening here. Um, Hunt for the Wilder People, which I, I managed to see a good few months ahead of release, was something that won the audience awards here at the Edinburgh Film Festival, but it never really had much of a kind of exposure here at the cinema but it's become something where people have maybe bought it on discount dvd or caught it on netflix and i think to know hunt for the wilder people is to love hunt for the wilder people so i think he's one of these people where i think when you see it kind of online he he builds up sort of a a fan base that are excited for his movies and i think that kind of a lot of people went into thor 3 excited to see his movie not necessarily thor but what he was going to do and then you got the trailers, and the trailers just excited me. It was sort of a validation of what I expected, and I was expecting from his tone. I thought he would do buddy movies so well, so when it was linked that the Hulk was going to be in it, that got me excited. Um, and I kind of just kept myself focused on the trailers. I didn't bother reading anything about what the movie was going to be about, what it was going to involve. So when I got to opening night, I was pretty excited and was sat there with a fellow fanboy, and we kind of went into it really jacked up to be honest what are uh for me i've never seen any of his films even though i i do have uh his hunt for the wilder people uh in my queue for uh netflix it's not on streaming here so i'm gonna wait for the dvd uh but what are some of the hallmarks of his filmmaking that really have endeared him to you because i know that you know, like you said, this is this is somebody that pretty much if they make a film, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. You're going to go see it or you're going to find a way to see it. I think like it's it's character that when you look through his movies from, you know, boy to hunt for the wilder people, like it's always about sort of the characters and it's making the characters, you know, it's always sort of goes for the joke, but it's always in a way that sort of delivers. And I think you would always watch that with his movies and you think it's they're always well cast. He has, you know, I think, I can't remember the name of her character in Thor 3, but it's the Grandmaster Psychic. That's someone that's kind of gone through his movie career yeah. with him. That he, he you know, he, he picks great casts. It's humor. It's, it's 
making moments in movies where it's always about kind of bringing people together. It's always about those characters. And that can be something that can be quite difficult to nail in sort of these big movies and comic book movies where it's keeping the characters at the forefront. So even when they're kind of going out there and taking on biggest foes on the planet it's all about right what is the character thinking and doing at this time and what is the character doing that's honest to themselves and I always find that kind of brings itself forward really well in the comedy aspect and it's just you know even himself he always gives himself a bit of a role in a movie whether it's Boy where he's basically one of the lead characters or whether it's Hunt for the Wilder People where he's got a, a two minute cameo as a, a minister in a church so you know even I didn't know going into this movie that he was actually going to be in it I'd hard maybe murmurings but to see him get one of the the best parts in Kirk was really enjoyable too so when you're watching it there's there's little kind of lines or moments that really resonate and um I was quite lucky boy is you know you know as I was saying it's a struggle to find his movies sometimes boy actually got a a kind of tour in the UK cinemas last week so one kind of small production company thought here's a chance to showcase this movie and it was shown like one night only in different places around the UK and I hadn't seen it in years and there's a bit where Taiki Watiti's character is talking about how he's an outlaw he's just like the Hulk and he was talking about how he resonates with the Hulk character and I was thinking here it was 10 years before he makes Thor Ragnarok and there he is like talking about how great the Hulk is and it was just one of those little quirks of fate where as a fan you feel like yeah man you've achieved it you've hit the the goal that you always wanted to and and you're happy for him it's it's sometimes it's not just being a fan of a movie but it's being a fan of an actor or a talent and it's seeing them get the the, the rewards really coming into this one uh i everybody knows and if you've listened to the 602 club we we've talked about both of the thor movies i i don't really like the first one i definitely don't like the second one um the second one's an unmitigated disaster uh of a movie and uh, this one though uh the the trailers really showed me something different i honestly i kind of face palmed when i heard that they were doing another thor movie and, you know, uh, I thought, okay, well, maybe they'll do something. Maybe this will be good. So I saw the trailers, and I was actually quite excited to see this movie. And I, I felt like maybe they finally turned Thor around. So, you know, going into the theater, I, I was hoping and expecting this to be a good movie. Like, I... I I had my hopes up, which was kind of strange because I haven't liked the other two. But from what I was seeing, I was like, no, this looks really good. So, you know, going into that, I I was really glad, you know, that that that, that had happened. And earlier this year, um, you know, I like Guardians of the Galaxy, the original, as if you've heard uh, us talk about it on the show. But it wasn't my favorite. Um, and I didn't like it as much as everybody else liked it. But... I went into the second movie and came out really, really liking that. Like I, Guardians of the Galaxy is um, probably in the upper echelon now for me in, in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was really impressed that, that they had found a way for me to make me care more about the characters and the story. And I just, I was, I really came out of that excited. So having that experience this year already with Marvel, I was going into this one pretty super pumped. Like, I, I, you know, I I felt like, okay, well, they they did it for me and, and something like Guardians of the Galaxy, this kind of looks like it might be 
similar to that in some way. So hopefully, that that's how I'll come out of the theater. And uh, one of the things that I really uh, this this movie is really interesting because I feel like there are two kind of tales, tale of two different planets. Uh, one might say, um, you know, we have uh, everything that's happening on Asgard uh, with uh, Hela and all of those kind of things, and then we have this junk planet <laughs> that we end up on, and. there's two kind of things happening here, like this Death of Asgard story and this Planet Hulk story. And I wanted to ask you how you felt like those two stories fit together in the film. Um, I don't think they fit together too well. Um, And yeah, when I went into it, I thought it would maybe kind of blend a bit better, but it definitely does feel like two different movies. Um, and, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing because they're both quite enjoyable, but they don't really mash quite well. And um, they obviously come together at the end and they sort of, you know, have a moment together at the start. Um, but it does feel like for that middle that there's two separate things going on. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoy the Planet Hulk part a lot. I think that's definitely the best part of it. Um, the stuff on Asgard, you know, it's probably kind of similar to maybe the last couple of movies. Maybe it wasn't the most exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I just didn't feel they sort of kind of came together too well, and you never sort of felt when, Hulk, well, Hulk was on the well, Hulk and um, Thor are on this planet. You never sort of feel that there's the push for them to get off the planet to go to Asgard. You're sort of so caught up in them having their hijinks and adventures on the planet. You think, well, come on, there should be a bit of momentum to get off the planet, and you know the, what's all going on on Asgard. The the rush to get there. It doesn't feel as perhaps dramatic as it should be. And um, so I just don't think they sort of dovetail together too well. Yeah, I think I think you're putting it really well in the sense that. I don't feel like either story is done badly. Um, it, it It's kind of uh, trying to meld them together and, and weld them together. Um, and I kind of feel like uh, in the end, it, it almost feels like uh, somebody has kind of scotch tape them together or as, as you guys would say, cello tape together. <laughs> um, because in uh, the, it feels kind of tangential, you know, the ways in which they they weave the 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 two plots together, and I never felt like you said that that there was that cohesion or or kind of like depth that you wanted for both of those stories um, to really make them work. And and part of that I felt like was that the you know death of Asgard wasn't given the weight that maybe it should have when we're like all of these really important things that are happening with that story. Because I mean, you know, that's, that's where we find out about, you know, the fact that she's Thor's sister and, you know, a lot of the things that Thor kind of held as the truth is actually a lie in the story. And I mean, there's a lot of emotional and um, I think uh, I can't think of a better word, but weighty things happening there. But it feels like the moment that we get to this junk planet, like you said, a lot of that kind of takes a back seat and never really comes to fruition thematically, even by the end of the film. Yeah, I'd agree with that, that there is a lot of weighty issues that kind of go on here. But I think for... In a, be- in a better way, like, I think that they focus kind of... Always the focus really is on this kind of 
Thor, and it even when like I think they they do underplay sort of the Kate Blanchett character, which which is a bit was one of my main disappointments with the movie. Um, but I felt like they kept the focus on Thor and what Thor is going through, what he's going through with Hulk, wanting to get off the planet, issues with Loki, and I I kind of liked that a lot about it that. Even when all these sort of weighty things are going on on Asgard, it kind of keeps it all on, right, what's Thor thinking at this moment in time? What's he dealing with? And I think it almost comes in with a, a sense of maturity with the character where perhaps in the first Thor movie that all this disaster and trouble, he would have been impulsive. He would have been, you know, you would have made more mistakes than right in putting things together. But when all this sort of goes wrong, when planets crumble, when people are lost, I think he deals with it in a sense of kind of maturity. And it's always about right being that leader. And if, if he is feeling he's hurt or struggling with it, he's perhaps keeping it sort of more internal and that he's, he's leading, but he's leading by example that he's not showing fear. And it's like, rally around me, you know, here's an idea. Let's get off this planet. Let's head to Earth. And it's maybe sort of something like that. We'll maybe see more of perhaps an in Infinity War. Maybe that's passing the buck on it. But I think that's one of those things. He's maybe it's showing perhaps a sign of leadership if I'm trying to sort of appease that decision in my head. Yeah, I think um, you've kind of hit on something that I uh, is really important because, you know, a lot of the times in the Thor movies, Thor kind of takes a back seat to other people. And I, I did feel the desire to put him more uh, at the forefront of his own movie. Obviously, um, you know, really allow Chris Hemsworth to kind of play to his strengths, which, you know, Chris is a pretty funny guy and a pretty easygoing guy and all those things. Um and I think you know they're they're I would say they're partially successful in in their desire to do that because I feel like this does feel more like Thor's movie for the first time really like you really it, it's kind of about him and his decisions and um, those kind of things but I do think that it's kind of undercut in a lot of ways because this the movie never takes itself seriously and because of that lack of of seriousness with like what we we're talking about you know like thor finding out his um you know uh, his father has kind of lied to him um about the, the the entire realm of asgard and what it's built upon is actually a lie you know um that the peaceful ways that we know of with Asgardians is not the way it was. Um, the The fact that he has this sister that he didn't know about, um, you know, uh, the the ways in which um, we're dealing with the possible extinction of Asgard as a place, like all of those things, I, I felt like, didn't have a lot of weight and part of that was I felt like that the movie it's always going for the joke and so moments that need to have um, resonance never get to have that resonance because they're always just a part of a punchline. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, it definitely does always go for the joke, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, that kind of moment uh, feeling sort of summed up even in sort of the last second of the movie. And I think it's ultimately, a, a, like, I think it just does come down to sort of taste, for example. Um, 
and I think yeah, like I could watch this. I would watch this movie, and if I was maybe watching it sort of as a a Marvel fan, or I, w- I would watch it, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. I wish this, you know, this Asgard that we'd been investing in, maybe there was a bit more weight. But then I kind of like take a step back and I think to myself, well, like when I watched the the, the previous two Thor movies, it's been played as sort of this love movie, and you know, I, I think Natalie Portman's fantastic, but she was terribly boring in these movies. And yeah. I get the idea that, you know, it's sort of different to sort of James Gunn who kind of could build Guardians of the Galaxy up in its own image, his own image. And you would watch that and think that's his sort of movie and it, that follows through into Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and it continues to build on that. Whereas Taiki Watiti comes in and sort of this third movie, you know, it's it's not a popular series in the Marvel kind of universe, really, kind of broadly speaking. And it's almost like... He's kind of gone in and he went, right, what are the strengths of these characters? And it's gone, well, people aren't really caring too much about the Asgard stuff that no one ever, you know, sits there and says about the first two movies. You know, I love the plot stuff that's going here on Asgard. And, um, you know, that's sort of like diminished. And I think... It it's hard to sometimes have the impact that, oh my God, Asgard's gone and they're now having to leave because I don't think, the fi- I think in the failures of the first two movies come home to roost here in a way that we're not necessarily invested in Asgard. So when it's gone, it's never going to have a moment. Even if if they went for the dramatic moment, I think people would be sort of like, yeah, it's a place where I know kind of a couple of the characters and it looks pretty on CGI. It's not kind of earned that moment with the weight and I think that's more of a failure of the first two movies and I think going for the joke I think that's what works because it works so well with these actors with these characters with these directors with these writers and I think Chris Hemsworth you know I I saw that Ghostbusters movie last year and I thought it was terrible but he was the best thing in it you know I it, you know this movie all about these female Ghostbusters and it was the sidekick character that stood out most of, most of all for me so I, I loved seeing him kind of bring out his comedic talents and his timing and I think he does a really good job of showing a more mature um, character and I think that works well as well but I think the problem with the the way is that it's not earned that from the previous two movies and I think if they tried to do it here it just wouldn't have felt earned so I think they have to do what they think's best and it's true for the story and almost sort of try and hope they get away with a moment of say sort of like a planet destroying and hope it hope hope the audience go with it <laughs> well and I think I think that's the thing that didn't end up working for me because and I, I do agree that partial blame does lie at the feet of the previous two films but I also think that by and and don't get me wrong I think the cameos that they have with Matt Damon and Sam Neill and, and Luke uh, Hemsworth are, are just hysterical and that's funny and they're poking fun at a, a really crappy movie right with the dark world but it does make everything a parody and I feel like the movie itself kind of became a parody of the Thor series. And that makes everything that kind of happens really inconsequential in the end. When I when I process that all that through that from my brain, the death of Asgard doesn't matter, you know, um, nothing really matters in the movie. Like a whole world was destroyed. Like hundreds of thousands of people probably died, but we made it a joke. And, you know, I, that seems kind of wrong to me um, as a movie um, to just kind of 
to to make all of that a joke. And I feel like uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy two was able to be silly, but also find those moments where you needed to be serious. And I did feel like that this movie, if it had allowed some of those moments to have some weight, it would have helped the story. Because otherwise, I I feel like it's um, wholly inconsequential what's happened in this movie. And it may be mildly entertaining, but it's kind of like cotton candy. It's there for a second and then it's gone. Yeah, like yeah, you, 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 I can't disagree with with what you're saying there with them. Yeah, because in terms of when I come out of it, I I think yeah, like a lot of the stuff that is inconsequential, and it'll probably pay off in some way in Infinity War with them kind of heading to Earth or or such like. Um, but it's one of those ones, and I suppose it's maybe kind of a a symptom of the Marvel movies is that a lot of the plots in some of the movies have been sort of inconsequential or world building, but it sort of gets through because like you're so invested in the characters or the actors and sort of the, the good time humor that comes along with sort of the Marvel movies. They are these cotton candy movies where probably you're, um, you know, kind of the DCEU movies are sort of your more kind of, you know, uh, you know, much stronger kind of coffee drinks you know you're you're kind of going to get a huge buzz from them in terms of sort of the level of kind of depth they try and go to or sort of the big themes they try and maybe hit and swing and miss at but hey they try and I think Marvel and I suppose it's one of these things when you watch sort of Thor 3 is that the the foundations of this movie are kind of, yeah, the, the first three Thor movies, for example, or the first two Thor movies, but it's the characters that are the kind of the main point for this. Like, And I think for me, I'm happy to go along with this because I, I'm so invested now in these these characters and what the director does with them that I can almost blow off the flaws. And again, that's something that I've probably said so many times with the Marvel movies and how long they can maybe keep that going for remains to be seen. I think that's that's a really interesting point, and I I, I think um, where you kind of uh, and I think I found it where you connected with the film had to do with the characters, and for me, I don't really like these characters. Like I don't like Thor as a character. I I haven't the in, the entire run. Like he he's always just definitely third string, fourth string when I think of the Marvel characters. So I haven't. Uh, felt a, a reason to care about him. And, and then in this movie where all of these big things kind of are supposedly happening to him and they don't put any weight on that, I, I continue to have no reason to really care about him as a character. And that was frustrating because, again, I felt like if you had had some weight to some of these things that happened to Thor and really uh, use that as a as a catalyst for taking that character further. Like, because Thor... You can see that he's changed in the film. Uh, and you can see the places that he's changed. Like, he's even changed with his approach to dealing with his brother. But everything is just so surfacey and and, like, part of a joke that it kind of washes over you and then it's gone. And you have to really be paying attention to, to see those things. But the movie, it never allows you, I think, the moment to appreciate what they're trying to do and and kind of where the character has gone. And one of the things that really bothered me is like, you know, his merry band is so, I mean, they're dispatched within the blink of an eye. 
and there's there's nothing to it. Like I, I was I was very glad that um Sif couldn't be there, <laughs> that um the actress couldn't make it for filming, uh, because they didn't give her enough time to to put it in her schedule. Because otherwise I feel like she would have been dead with, you know, the snap of a finger too. Like there was that kind of thing. Like there's there's massive things happening in the Thor universe that they've created. I, I like that actually quite a lot because like going into the movie you always think you have a little checklist in your head for for all these big comic movies like oh I'd love to see this character or, oh I really hope these people are brought together or I see this big sort of set piece and I completely forgot like I think the the characters are quite good and the first one is little band of merry men um, and I, I never thought about them actually being in this movie or like forgot that they were even thing and when they're in the beginning and then they get killed off and i almost felt it was a sort of a statement of intent and it it can be sometimes the difficulty with bringing in three different directors for three different movies in a trilogy you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and i think what was quite good is that they went into this movie and you know again i sometimes think some of the flaws of this movie are sort of built in from the previous thor movies that these are characters these 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 band of men and women that we don't really particularly are interested in. They're very forgettable in terms of all these Marvel characters. And I think that when you bring in the writers and directors to make this movie, like sometimes it's quite good that they can go, right, what do you want to keep? And I think that, you know, the idea of getting rid of Natalie Portman and the, the adventures on earth and these merry men, for example, and sort of making light of the door of the dark world and essentially just going, Hey, <laughs> that movie is terrible. Right. This is what we want to do. And I think it can be very frustrating if you're sort of invested in sort of this MCU universe and making sure all these characters are returning in the bigger universe. But then sometimes I think that's possibly a good thing in terms of that. We talk about in a lot of these Marvel movies sometimes and, DC movies and whatever, where it's like, I wish I could see sort of some of the director's vision, some of the director's work, as opposed to sort of a director coming in, being a director for hire, playing with all the toys and then leaving. And I like how the writers in this and the director were able to sort of go, okay, they got quite a lot of freedom to be themselves and to play with the toys that they wanted to play with. And I can't imagine them being too excited to play with sort of those merry men and some of the themes of the dark world, this romance that no one was interested in in the second one. I think it worked in the first one. And I think that was quite good. So while it felt like they were disbanded with quite quickly, I liked how it was just a like, gone, 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 gone. And it made for sort of a, a whether it worked, too successfully i think it makes quite an entrance for kate blanchett's character where it comes in and she goes she can kill people that we recognize as opposed to perhaps the blank general faces we sometimes see in these comic book movies where they're dead and then come back or it's just some sort of cgi character that we were never resonated with i I quite liked how they use their death to advance her character yeah i i think that's interesting and i'm sitting as you were talking i was thinking to myself I can I can totally understand wanting to come in and, and shake up the Thor universe, and I definitely think that's why they hired him as the director, was to do that very thing, because I, I think they realized that for a lot of people, the Thor series has been one of the weaker series. It's definitely the weakest of the, the, the trilogies that we've had, um, you know, whether it's Captain America or Iron Man. Um, this has definitely been the weakest one so far. And so coming in to shake that up and how you do that, 
Yeah, and 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 I think you're right. They kind of just chucked the baby with the bathwater, for the most part, and and did their own thing. And I I think what it is is just that their own thing didn't quite work for me. Um, just partly because it it did those things in a way that negated everything that had come before, really, for the most part. And it, it just made Thor feel like an even more kind of meaningless character in the end, which was, I was really frustrating because part of that too was, um, you know, the goddess of death, Kate Blanchett, we've talked about her a little bit. I was so like, I can't tell you how much I love Kate Blanchett. It's ridiculous. Um, and so I was very excited. That was one of the reasons I was so excited about this movie is because they got her to be in it. And, I really feel like that she's um, she's woefully misused in this film. Like she's really not given anything to do. Like this is Kate Blanchett, and and I don't feel like that you really the story utilizes her in a way that does justice to a villain who, on paper, is one of the best villains in the MCU. I think the problem with that, I think it kind of ties into the sort of the two stories don't necessarily mash. That for at the beginning, we have this, you know, kind of quite really quite good scenes where Kate Blanchett comes in and, and she looks stunning. The design of that kind of costume and her headdress were, were awesome. Um, and I really liked that at the beginning. And then when they, they kind of come together at the end. But there's that problem where when the stories don't sort of match up, it kind of makes that issue that we see sort of Thor on the planet. He, you know, he's going through the sort of the bits and pieces with Hulk, whereas Kate Blanchett's character is essentially just faffing about really on Asgard. And we don't sort of have that, well, we have that connection between them being brother and sister. And boy, does that family appear to have problems because I don't think a movie goes by without some sort of, <laughs> wow, well, you thought you knew your family. Well, here's this and here's this. Oh, it's like, oh my word. It's, um, it's, it, it's like a really bad episode of the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it's like this, you've got this whole sort of maybe like hour and a bit where the character, like Kate Blanchett's character, where most movies, sort of their villain, they would be very much connected and what happens with one is affecting the other, where they're both sort of out of sync and it's all about, when, well, when are they going to get back sort of together again and we'll be able to further that plot forward. Otherwise, we just sort of see her quite gloriously and camply disposing of disposable Asgard people after she's made her, her big impact Um kind of in the beginning where she kills off those merry men and it sort of just doesn't quite work. I'd love to have seen more of them two kind of connecting and pushing each other, you know, onwards. I mean, she's committing Asgardian genocide and <laughs> and vamping around in, in, you know, this fabulous outfit. Uh, but yeah, you're right. They're, this this connection that they have is brother and sister and 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 really i mean when you think about what's happening in the story thor realizes that he was never the golden child like thor has always thought that he was daddy's favorite right well he finds out that he wasn't always daddy's favorite that there was somebody before him and like that his father had lied to him like as this whole thing is unraveling, it's this. It feels like a uh, a soap opera on Asgard, and and yet 
nobody actually grapples with any of the issues that are actually happening. And, you know, it, it, it kind of just comes down to a boss fight at the end. And it's so frustrating because, again, like, I think when, when as we're talking through this, like, seriously, Kate Blanchett's character of Hela is actually one of the best motivated villains in the MCU. But they then waste her with, you know, sitting on a throne looking pretty yeah absolutely like that's definitely my one of my main disappointments is that the sort of two of them didn't get more time together and i think that that's obviously the the choice of these sort of two separate storylines which become so separate from each other that it definitely kind of faults the villain and it's that sort of I'm sure all the Marvel fans are kind of always written like, you know, we all hear it. Oh, the Marvel movies have terrible villains or the the villain plots are never great. And some of the times that that couldn't be more true. Sometimes I think a little bit unfair. And this one, it's it's neither. It's just sort of frustrating. It's like, oh, my God, you've, you've got Kate Blanchett. You've got in this amazing role where she is just on fire. I want to see more of her. I want to see more of her sort of kind of hitting with the big players. So, yeah, I think it's a, a missed opportunity. Well, and I think, like you said, like, she's not a bad villain. Like, the storyline for her as a villain, she's actually fantastic. Like, what they have there, again, on paper, is really good. It's just the execution ends up not doing her justice. Um, and, and that's kind of a frustrating thing, again, is <laughs> it's one of my favorite actresses of all time uh, in, a, a, you know, she's just amazing. And uh, I, w- I was really disappointed in that. So You get annoyed when you've got these movies sometimes where you, you get yeah. someone like Kate Blanchett and you think, oh my God, you've got her in the character. And if they, they, they aren't maybe used as well as they could, you think, well, it's kind of gone now. It's like you can sort of bring them back in. Well, let's get Kate Blanchett in for Iron Man 5 or whatever like that. It's like, well, you, you had your chance of that actor. It's been and gone. And there's only a finite amount of actors probably left in Hollywood that haven't been in a Marvel movie. So they kind of, they should make use of these people maybe a bit more for kind of their priority sake. Milk them while you can. Yeah, no, I was actually thinking about that the other day too, that, you know, she is a villain who's dead. And so... You know, I mean, you killed her with, um, you know, the CGI devil. And that was another frustrating thing because it's not as though we can have her return and, and you know, menace Thor again. And, it, yeah, again, it, that's just, um, hmm. it is definitely a, a, a lost opportunity. So, um it's 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 a it's a lost opportunity as lost as Asgard is these days. Absolutely. So. <laughs> um, we do get a lot of other new characters, and so um, wanted to talk through some with you. We got Jeff Goldblum as the master, and I feel like if if you could say anything, it's just like quintessential Goldblumism. Like this is Jeff Goldblum just getting to be Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I think he's given up being. A- an actor anymore i think he just portrays jeff goldblum and it and i think he was brilliant where that that meme was what's been going about where it's like someone was like to him and I, i'm sure he speaks to most of us comic book fans where it's like so is it marvel or dc and he has that sneering look and it goes 
what's the difference? It's like, I, I, I love that one. Um, and I, I was really happy to see Jeff Goldblum cast in this. And I think that he, he does really well with that sort of grand, grand master role. It, it sort of feels we got to see all of that in the trailer with him. There was a few scenes that we picked up that were a bit different, but I think he was kind of a bit overexposed in the trailer and there wasn't much where you were like, oh, oh, this is another cool Jeff Goldblum scene here. They, they sort of threw all that out in the publicity, which was slightly disappointing in the cinema experience for me. No, I agree with you. I I actually hadn't thought of that until you said it. And I was like, yeah, they really did kind of give you everything that he was going to be in the trailer. And then nothing he did really surprised you. You know, I mean, everything else felt kind of perfunctory by that point. Um, But he is really good in the role and he's very funny. And and I think the thing that he does best is he plays that... um, uh, naive menace really well like he'd be one of those you'd imagine being friends with him like having a laugh and a joke and then you wouldn't be surprised if you looked down and you find like you've been stabbed or something by him while you were talking yeah. he's definitely got that sly look about him <laughs> yes or or a part of you is slowly dissolving yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that was that was great i mean i and i really again i really liked him in the role on I think he was the perfect choice for that character. So well done in the casting there. Um, a character that I, I was really fond of too. And I, I thought, again, this is kind of where I wanted some more weight in the film because I thought uh, Valkyrie's relationship with Thor and what she represents and him being able to find a way to kind of bring her back was actually really interesting and I just would have wanted some more of that because that's that's a really good storyline. It's a cool storyline. It gives, you know, him kind of a love interest without there being, you know, super heavy romance or anything, but just enough. And um, I really liked her portrayal. I thought she was great in the movie. Yeah, I, I think, like, she was a... Sl- there was a few frustrations I potentially had with that character, but, like, the positives were... Like in a way, that's sort of why I didn't have a problem with getting rid of the the band of merry men. You know, they had like these four or five different characters, and I think that sort of all came together in this Valkyrie character. That sometimes less is more, and that you have this sort of uh, associate of Thor, where they can really develop her, give her a story arc, have her be an equal to him, as opposed to sort of these characters that we see around him that sort of just do their their own little bit here and there. And I think she, she she's really good, and I think you know this story arc that she overcomes, sort of being a bit of a kind of disillusioned alcoholic to sort of coming back home again and kind of having a this really full arc. And I thought that was really well done. I mean, sort of two slight frustrations would be sort of the, that her, that amazing scene where we see sort of the Valkyrie kind of descending on um, Hela. I thought, oh my God, that looked amazing, especially in IMAX. And I wanted a little bit more of it. Like it's really good for that yes. kind of couple of seconds. It's, it's almost sort of, you see, it's what you would almost associate sort of with more DC in a way that it is looks like this sort of yeah. um, comic book splash. It was Wonder like Woman. Yeah, that two-page like spread, Woman. yeah. Um, I thought that was really good and a, a bit of a disappointment because I read after, like, the, people were talking about her as sort of this bisexual character and, yeah, I, I could see sort of hints of that. And then I'd read after that there was sort of a scene that really kind of clarified that and made that very clear, but it didn't make the final cut. And um, Thompson and YTTM we're trying to champion that and to keep that in and i'm a bit confused at why that 
didn't make the final cut. It seems like, you know, maybe Marvel again playing it safe for sort of for no real reason at all. You've built all these billions and accolades. If you want to make a character bisexual, just commit to the bit and have it in there. It almost reminds me of sort of that Harry Potter thing where you can say something after the fact, but putting a character on screen and giving representation is, is much more powerful than saying, oh yeah, and this character is this way, but without giving it maybe even just a little second or two where you validate that and give that a role model to someone that's maybe coming into it and questioning their sexuality or someone that they can relate to. Well, and one of the things that too, uh, and this is where I feel like um, it would have been really interesting is that if that character had actually been Sif instead of her, Mm -hmm. because um, if the rest of the band of Merry Men are killed, but you've always kind of had this underlying thing with Sif, um, I feel like that would have made it even stronger in a lot of ways, like kind of cool to maybe find out that she was a Valkyrie and we never knew it. Mm -hmm. Um, Those kind of things, like I feel like that would have made um, you even more invested in that storyline and given it more weight. And then you could have had that kind of um, actual romance finally with uh, Thor now that uh, Jane, the, the, the plain Jane is gone. And I would have been much more excited about that too because I didn't like the Jane relationship whatsoever, um, but I always liked the Sif character much more. So um, it is kind of, I think, a lost opportunity almost to have made it uh, an even stronger character, but again, they couldn't even get her to be in the movie because they didn't ask her till too late, So, um, which seems kind of dumb. Mm, absolutely. So Carl Urban is in another space movie. Yeah, I like. I was so happy when he was cast in this because, like, after Star Trek Beyond, uh, I, I was a big Carl Urban fan before and after. But I was like, oh, I just want to see more of him. I, I just thought he knocked out of the park in Star Trek Beyond, and I was a bit disappointed with this one. Like, I think his character is, is really good and gets a brilliant payoff. Um, but the problem I have with it, and I, I, I don't quite understand it, is that. We obviously he's you know a, an idiot that becomes a bad guy that becomes redemption, but the problem I had with it was that it's so telegraphed that as soon as you saw him, you're going to be like, yes. "This guy is yep. going to go bad, fine, but he's going to have redemption." Yep. And like we all we've seen the trope. It's not. It's, I'm not expecting prizes for originality in that front, but it's so telegraphed. Like every time Hela does something, he has that look on his face, like, yes. "Oh, should I be doing this? Should I not?" And it go, it's gone the whole time. It's like, we know it's coming. We know it's coming. And I'd, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I'd rather if they went kind of all in perhaps on it than sort of have him at the beginning be, oh, I'm not too sure. Cause it, it becomes slightly irritating. I think when you're like, okay, now he's going to look at the camera. Like he's a bit, I'm not too sure about this. And we knew what was always going to happen. And that's not through the trope, but that's through how it was telegraphed. <laughs> I almost feel like that he should have his pinky finger up at his like, mouth you know like dr evil with hmm? like giving you the like should i you know you're absolutely right i act i hadn't thought of that uh and again until you said it with with talking about how it's just so choreographed that this character is going to go this way and there's absolutely nothing surprising about it and that is a huge frustration it would have been much more interesting to to really give him, if you're going to give him some sort of redemption arc, to really make it where this dude was super awful and something happens that 
snaps him out of it or you know absolutely um yeah because because that adds a lot more power to the story than it just being like well just you know when's the right moment when are they going to actually get him to turn so so i uh, gotta ask you um you know uh, about korg you yeah. know um I, I loved him i thought he was the the mvp of this movie and um, when we were watching the movie, me and my, like, as I say, I kind of went on to lockdown on this movie outside of the trailer and kind of, you know, the, the obvious casting things that you can't really escape. And I, I, as I suspected, Taihi Wititi would have some sort of role, and I expected maybe like the brief as a cameo, but to kind of have a sort of a, quite a main role in a way. And when um, this rock monster spoke for the first time, me and my mate both turned to each other and went, yes! It was like, we, we, we think he, I think he's just a great, comedic actor and i thought like korg you know it almost probably sums up maybe your sort of flaw that you described with the movie where everything's a joke everything's sort of undercut and i think he comes in and he really embraces that um as a character that even right there at the end it's always about the joke you know thor oh he's having an emotional moment he's going into this gladiatorial fight he's gonna have to fight his friend he's a far from home and it's the joke 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 and it's always sort of korg's the punchline to that and i think I really like that, but obviously it, it's not for everyone. But I, I, I thought Waititi, uh, Waititi did a really brilliant comedy role in that. I thought his voice work was excellent as always. And, um, you know, I never tire of a New Zealand accent um, in movies, you know, and TV from Flight of the Concords, which he was obviously involved in. I love that show to this. And I thought, um, yeah, it was it. That's the sort of payoff if you're a fan of him and his movies that you look for in these movies and uh, this film. I absolutely love New Zealanders accents. Um, uh, they're fantastic. Uh, and he was funny. Um and he had me as a character for most of the movie, and the moment that he ruined the destruction of Asgard with a joke, I I was kind of done <laughs> with him, um, because yeah, uh, and, and and you're absolutely right. That's the thing, the constant joke, 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 joke drove me crazy because not everything needs that, um, and I, I get I get wary of it uh, and weary of it. Because I feel like in a lot of ways, it's too easy to always make a joke of something. It is harder to find emotional resonance in a film and, and really make you feel something. And there were some moments in this movie where I did really feel like you needed to feel what was happening. And you don't. Uh, because you know the next joke is coming and now. Um, and Korg was kind of part of that problem for me. I can't deny that he was probably the funniest character in the movie, though. Like, he really was. So, um, and I, I appreciated some of his humor, especially at the at the beginning when Thor just meets him. I thought that was great. So, um, one person who's not new and we haven't talked about is Loki. And I wanted to ask you, because Loki is that probably the one person who I feel like actually makes a transformation in this movie. And I wanted to know how that worked for you. Yeah, I, I, I was a bit worried going into this movie. And I, it was somewhat like at the beginning that, like, I think Loki is one of the best characters in the Marvel movies and um, is probably one of people's kind of go-to defenses about the Marvel movies and villains. Well, well, Loki was brilliant. Loki was brilliant. And then uh, the other 18 potential other villains, maybe not so much. But um, I, I really liked it 
in this that it properly finally was a, an arc where he kind of, you know, it's accepted as opposed to sort of, you know, you're, you're talking about joke, joke, joke. Whereas this, it's like with Loki and yeah, he is the god of mischief where it's like, oh, we've got that sort of emotional resonance where he's overcome something. Oh, no, he hasn't. And we've done that quite a few times in the, the two movies, the Avengers and at the beginning of this. And I like by the end of it that he had found his place in this sort of universe. And even if it took quite a, an attempted genocide of Earth and lots of failed schemes, which result in a lot of death and heartbreak for people, that he, he's found some sort of peace. And I think Tom Hiddleston, as always, is, was fantastic in, in this movie. And um, yeah, I, I was really happy with with the Loki arc in this. Thing. It, it's In a way, it's finally resolved now. And I, I think... You know, we'll obviously probably see him in um, Infinity War and stuff like that, but I'm kind of happy that sort of plotline is, is done. I, I don't think I could have done another movie of bait and switch, bait and switch. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I'm so glad that they stopped that, and I actually love that Thor kind of stopped asking Loki to stop being himself, and it was Loki who made the decision to be something different. Because I think obviously that's the that's how real change happens for us as human beings is that um, you know people can ask us to make changes, but we have to want to make those changes ourselves for them to start to stick. And him making the change at the end to come back uh, the way he does and you know play the hero role, uh, but but to actually choose a side and choose that what's right because it's what's right was great. And I did like that a lot. And Tom Hiddleston and Loki are clearly, I think, the best villain that Marvel's had um, next to what we saw in Winter Soldier with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Pierce. Yeah, absolutely. Being, I, I think, probably the second best. So, you know, but this really, I think, put a capper on that character and his storyline that I really enjoyed and was... Glad to see because Loki is probably my favorite character in the he is my favorite character in the Thor films, um, which is funny because it's not the Loki series, it's the Thor series. But um, I, I kind of wanted to ask because we didn't talk about him yet, but he has a cameo in this movie. Um, and uh, what did you think of Doctor Strange? Oh yeah, I thought you were going to ask about the Hulk. Um, yeah, the Doctor Strange thing was it was okay. Um, I'm a big Cumberbatch fan, and it's always good to see him in in anything. But in terms of um, like that sort of scene that we'd already seen at the end of was it Spider Man? Was it Guardians of the Galaxy Two? I can't remember which one. Where it was basically the the post credit scene, like we saw like Thor and um, Strange having that conversation, and it kind of annoyed me really. Where um, it's that kind of sometimes that comic book trope or blockbuster trope where someone comes in to sort of further the plot. And I felt it was almost not needed that we got, he they arrived on Earth and they needed to find his dad. And then for some reason we had this like five minute spell where it was Doctor Strange that helped them find it. I almost didn't feel that was necessarily needed. Like I didn't feel that we needed to sort of have this sort of sideshow into sort of the Marvel cinematic universe where it yeah that, like that's obviously the joy of these movies that they all tie in but i felt like it was an unnecessary side trip to have this moment where we go discover uh dr strange to then tell them where thor's dad was like i'm sure we could have just come up with another thing where thor had a feeling or whatever that he's here or something like that or some family memory where like they'd been on that place in norway i just felt it was 
unnecessary and a bit annoying as a, a kind of choice. Yeah, it was it was interesting to have that happen. And obviously we'd had that kind of um, teased for us with the end credit sequence. Um, I, I mean, I didn't have a problem with it. It was mildly entertaining. Um, you know, I liked Thor being completely out of his element. Uh, what's really funny is Thor just comes off as like a dude bro mm-hmm. yeah. uh, next to, you know, the, the refinement of uh, Doctor Strange. And Cumberbatch, I, I think what it was interesting is that Cumberbatch and Doctor Strange have one of the best, like, growth moments in the film of anybody in the film, strangely enough, because um, his dealing with Loki lets you know that he's really grown in power. The fact that, uh, for him, the god of mischief is not anything, is no problem to deal with. I thought that was really fascinating to see because obviously, you know, when we leave Doctor Strange the movie, which I wasn't a huge fan of, um, he's he's just, he's still got a lot to learn. Um, this made it seem like he's really progressed pretty far if he can deal with Loki with absolutely no problems yeah, at all. Yeah, it's a bad so, eyelid at any point. Yeah. Which I think the best line in the movie is, I've been falling for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> um, which, that was great. Um, yeah, uh, last, I guess we should probably talk about the Hulk. Um, this big green thing. And um, how did you feel like they used him in this movie? Yeah, I, th- I thought they used him really well. I, I mean, I'm, I know people are always clamoring, we need a Hulk movie, we need a Hulk movie. I think Hulk works best, and we've seen it in the Avengers movies, um, and we've seen it obviously now with this movie compared to sort of the two sort of solo Hulk movies, which you know have their flaws. Um, but I think Hulk works best when he's got sort of human characters to resonate off of, and I think that works best. Um, and I think that kind of pairing him up with Hulk, uh, Thor worked really well. When I heard that, like it tied into sort of that um, YTT thing that I thought I would get that would be sort of that you know duo working together that buddy sort of movie that he, he does really well and I'm glad to see that kind of work and I thought Mark Ruffalo did comedy really well the the stuff with Tony Stark was uh, was really good um, and it was great to sort of see Planet Hulk kind of brought to life like I, I don't think it would have worked if it was just Hulk on that planet it, it, it just I don't think it would work too well so I was really happy with how Hulk was used here. Um, Mark Ruffalo, I thought, was excellent. And I thought, um, you know, they really added to sort of the Hulk mythology with sort of this planet, which is revering him, you know, as this superstar. It was slightly annoying. I've said it before, obviously, with the the, the best moment of the trailer. was like, yes, he's a friend from work. That movie would have killed, I think, in the cinema had you not seen the trailer, but I'm sure it'll work for, for future generations that don't go into these things having seen saturated trailers. So, um, yeah, I, I was really happy about the, the choice of Hulk. Yeah, I thought he, he worked well in the movie, and I think you're absolutely right. He pairs well with Thor, um, and it was funny. Uh, the The thing that kind of um, was frustrating was, for me, as we talked about earlier, just how this storyline, I feel like, just needed to be its own movie in a lot of ways. Um, I wish the Planet Hulk uh, storyline had been connected with Thor in a way that this was the only part of the storyline. Um, and, and you know, I don't know, maybe they've got an Infinity Stone or something, you know, that they end up needing to get. And the whole thing is Thor trying to find a way into, you know, his head again to get him back and all. Um, but, I mean, 
them making fun of Age of Ultron with yeah, the sun is getting real low. Yeah. Sun's getting real low, buddy. Just just come on, sun's getting real low. Um I uh, well, yeah, the sun's getting real low on Asgard too, so um it non existently. Um so yeah, I thought that that worked. Um and I you know, I agree with you absolutely. I think Hulk works best in concert with other characters, not on his own anymore at this point, because the hardest thing about Hulk is that he spends the entire movie trying not to do the thing that you're there to see him do. And that's kind of boring to see him mm-hmm. try not to Hulk out when that's all you want to do is see him Hulk out. So, um, you know, I'm going to say something. I don't know if you'll agree with it, but I have to say I was not really impressed with the Hulk CGI for the most part. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't really comment. It's it's now been a couple of weeks since I've seen it, and um, I I had no issues with it. Um, it's maybe I was maybe a bit too focused on some of the other things going on in the movie. I personally didn't have any any issue with it. I thought it looked. I saw an IMAX IMAX 3D, and I didn't really didn't notice any too much problems. But um, I think they've done it kind of well so far. And I guess when I'm maybe looking at the screen, I'm just sort of just taking that for granted now. But um. It didn't sort of seem an issue for me personally. Oh, that's good. It was just something that I, I felt like that I noticed throughout the film. And in fact, I feel like there were parts in the movie where the whatever effect was happening was kind of pulling me out. And part of that is I didn't feel like a lot of the effect shots that what was real and what was an effect was 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 graded in a way that made it feel like it was cohesive. Uh, as as a scene and so that was just something that kind of bothered me throughout the movie but um i guess uh was there anything else that stood out to you in the movie that you really liked or you felt like oh man i, I want to mention this before we go yeah one one last thing for me would be um i think one of the big flaws with sort of marvel until quite recently has been the scores have been forgettable there's been no sort of hero theme or sort of sometimes memorable soundtracks i think winter soldier had a great soundtrack and i think this one like dr strange had a fantastic score this was another sort of you know one that went under the radar for probably most people but the addition of mark motherborough and from devo and as the to do the score was had me really excited, uh, in particular because of his work on Wes Anderson movies, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic, uh, Rushmore, Bottle Rocket. Like I love his scores, and he does that sort of really good comedy up tempo score. And I think when you're watching Thor, much like sort of um, some of the previous movies we've now seen to be starting to get with Marvel, is they seem to have fixed. That that music score uh, problem, and when you get that theme at the end, when you're seeing all the different images and the cast names, it's and you hear the theme playing away. I thought it worked really, really well, and uh, the use of Led Zeppelin "Immigrant Song" is uh, inspired as always. So yeah, it was it was good to hear that again on a, a big screen. No, I I do want to agree with you. I think um you know I I uh picked up the score to listen to it before the movie comes out, as I do most movies, because I really enjoy that because it helps me in hear it better in the movie uh, and how it works into the movie then and so I can actually listen for it and I did feel like this is a better score I actually enjoy listening to it Um, it, it, it's got an enjoyable uh, theme to it and then of course they actually at the end as you're saying they brought back the Thor theme 
uh, from Patrick Doyle from the original, which was kind of cool. Uh, so they worked all that together. And then, of course, when they're on the junk planet, um, things get wacky and crazy, and it goes to this kind of uh, synth 80s sound, uh, wacky, like almost like 80s style mm-hmm. movie feel to it, which I think really works. So all in all, I do think that this is one of Marvel's better scores. Uh, and and uh, sadly, as you mentioned, that's it's not really saying much. Um because so many of them have been so blasé. Um, but this definitely does, you know, uh, sound a lot better, and it's it's actually an enjoyable listen if you get the album. I've, I've, I've actually listened to it through quite a few times, so really like that. Um, couple, one last interesting thing that I noticed is that, that they've retconned in this movie that the Asgardians, like Thor, are gods. Um, you know, they, the, the, probably the second best line in the movie is you're the, what are you the God of? Not the God of hammers, you know, um, you're the God of thunder, which would we really say thunder? Mm -hmm. I mean, he really brings the lightning more than the thunder. Um, or yeah, maybe he's just, uh, oh, maybe he's, maybe he's imagined dragons thunder. Maybe there that's go. where that song I'm, comes I'm, I'm surprised you managed to say that without doing it in the Australian accent. What are you the god of again? I, I love the way she <laughs> says that with such sneering disdain. Yeah, it was awesome. That was a great line. Um, and then I love him, his dad being like, you're the god, you're not the god of hammers, you're the god of thunder. Um, I thought that was great. And, and I actually, I enjoyed that they brought back the idea that they are gods. Um, because I never felt like that they should take that away from the Asgardians. I was really disappointed that Marvel kind of went this sciencey route for everything instead of embracing mm-hmm. the comic book lineage that they are gods, uh, and 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 being a you know I felt like they're kind of afraid of that almost. And I I do think I want to say that Wonder Woman gave them the freedom to feel like you know what we can just go with this lineage. We can make it work. Um, there's no reason to be afraid of that. It's a comic book for gosh shakes, you know? Um, so I really, I, I was very happy to have that be part of the story again. Um, and just be like, yeah, it's cool that that's what they are. Absolutely. So, um, if you were going to rate Thor Ragnarok, where would you come down? Yeah, like, um, as I say, I thought it would be the best Marvel movie. I think it just falls just short of that due to sort of some of the things we've spoken about just sort of the two the two kind of plots not maybe gelling as well as they should and sort of Kate Blanchett delivering a great performance but being underused um, I would definitely have it in the sort of the top three of the Marvel movies I think Winter Soldier is still the pinnacle that was a movie that brought all these plots and threads together well and did it in a very inventive way and um, and I, I think what it does really well that we've spoken you know a bit about sort of how the, some of the drama doesn't work or it's undercut, but I think it's one of these things. I think it's sometimes so difficult to do comedy and to do comedy very well that for all the flaws with the drama, whether it's because of the choices in this movie or whether it's because of the sort of the previous Thor movies and their issues coming home in here, I think the comedy, for the most part, and especially for me worked so so well you know i admit i'm biased i'm a fanboy 
but it worked for me and I enjoyed it and I, I had such a great time at the cinema. And I think comedy can sometimes be so hard to do and I think it can be very underrated when it's done well. And I think in a movie like this where we saw how you know, the first one people enjoy, the second one was a disaster. And for it to have a, such a, a great opening weekend, it seems something's really resonating with people. And while the, the drama might feel like you've got these comedy and characters that are kind of like cutouts where, that we're just putting on, shoving onto pages, as it were, and um, with background stuff going on, it maybe doesn't work so well. But as a comedy and as a, an enjoyable film, I really, I can't complain too much. I, I would give it a four out of five, um, it, you know, I, I enjoyed it a lot and I'm, I'm really happy for someone like Taiki Watiti, who's, you know, I think we saw him on uh, Instagram today where he was like, how do you celebrate winning a hundred, uh, making 151 million at the box office at the weekend? I'm making fish fingers. I think he's one of these people where, you know, as movie fans, you know, and, and yourself with sort of DC, like we have directors that we want to root for that we want to see have the success have the moments get all the payoff and accolades that we know they deserve that we know their hard work that they put in and a lot of these sort of comic book movies blockbuster movies you can be a director and go in and you can come out of it and you can barely notice a fingerprint of your work that you've done on it or you've come out and they've been washed out and it's failed and to see someone like him go through this process and to come out and make a movie which is distinctly him I think that's a success and I'm really happy for him and I think it's 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 a really enjoyable movie for fans and for Fairweather fans to enjoy and whether it will still stand up the test of time or whether people will remember it remains to be seen but I, I'm really happy with it and for me that's that's all that matters. Yeah, this one was uh, really interesting for me. Obviously, I went in very excited and 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 very hopeful which, you know, I was looking at my Marvel movie ranking and legitimately, you know, we've had 17 Marvel movies now and Thor The Dark World is number 17 on the list and Thor is number 16. So that lets you know how far this had to go to actually have me even excited. But it's also uh, this thing that, that happens sometimes, you know, when you um, go to a movie and then you come out of it and then you think about it. Honestly, for me personally, the more I've thought about this movie, the less that I have liked it. And that's always frustrating when that happens, that the more you kind of think through the, the, the film, that the worse it, it starts to get for you because you start thinking of other things that you that bothered you. And I will say that for me personally, too, sitting in the theater, um, I had a decent time, but I never really connected with this movie. And it, it just, the connection wasn't there. Um, I, I don't know why, but it wasn't there. And I listened to an interview that Empire Podcast did with the director, and I, I think the reason is is because everything that he loves about this movie, like all the jokes, always going for the jokes, all of that kind of stuff, is everything I kind of dislike about this movie kind of immensely. And so I understand why it doesn't resonate for me. It it it's it's a not a movie which was made with the sensibilities that I it really fully enjoy. Um Whereas, you know, something like this last year, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, really found a way to win me over um, because they found a way to balance some serious with silly. 
and I wish this had been able to do that better for me. And so, honestly, I'm this movie's at a two and a half massive tankards of ale from Doctor Strange out of five. Um, it just it 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 really it it just it's not a movie that I had a great time with, and I would probably watch a movie like Doctor Strange again before I would watch this one just because I, I didn't really, I just didn't really like it. Um, and I wish I had because I, I had a really high expectations going in, which was kind of strange, but that's okay. You know, um, I'm very glad that so many people have loved it and liked it. And that's one of the wonderful thing about movies is that it find you know, different people like different things about films. Um, and that's why we sit here and get a chance to talk about them. And I'm so glad that we got that opportunity to talk about them here tonight. And um, really want to thank uh, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They make uh, this show possible, and they make every single thing that we do here on the network possible with their support through Patreon of us. And I really want to say thank you to everyone who's supporting us on Patreon, this network is huge. We have so many shows coming out. We have five shows a week coming out on Discovery alone, and we can't do that without your help. So I really encourage you, go over to Patreon, see how you can support the network and be part of our team. Every little bit helps every bit this month and every month. And so it's patreon.com slash checkfm. We've got so many different ways we like to give back to you. Uh, and Help us keep coming to you each and every week with ad-free, amazing content like the 602 Club and every other show in the network. Um, Lee, it's been a blast to have you back here in the 602 Club. Yeah, thank you. I know that um, for you, you have to get up very early in the morning to do this. Your dedication is is phenomenal. The seat is always open for you here. But uh, let everybody know where they can find you and what else you have going on online because You've got some amazing stuff going on, my friend. Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter at Lee underscore Nostromo. And you can find me like you on um, the Nerd Party Network. Um, I've got an episode uh, dropping today where um, it kind of ties into a bit of the Thor theme. Um, I did an interview with uh, an extra from The Force Awakens that ended up becoming Chris Hemsworth's body double in um, Age of Ultron. He he worked on he worked as security on... Um, the, the Thor the Dark World movie uh, this tall Slovenian actor and someone looked at him one day and went he bears a resemblance to Chris Hemsworth so him and a couple of guys all came together <laughs> tried on the outfit and ended up he ended up being the closest one to Chris Hemsworth and became his body double and um, he shared some of his stories on our, our latest podcast interview where he talked about Chris Hemsworth and what a great guy he was that th- there's an image of him coming out of a Mercedes in the Thor costume and talking to a school kid that you know was camping out in London early to see him so yeah it's things like that that you know it's great to hear these people's stories and share them with people so yeah you can find me there and if you that's kind of an episode interests you you can find it there too yeah, definitely do that. It's so worth uh, checking out. Um, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. I am, of course, here on the network with uh, Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine on The Orb. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network as well with John Mills talking all about Star Wars over on Aggressive Negotiations. I do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we're talking about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least... I do a show called Cinema Stories, and that is all about film through the lens of faith. And you can find all of our shows, Lee and I's, on 
iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? Here.